Hypebeast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Today's episode is one that shows just how special the Business of Hype podcast is. If you're a regular listener, you know that one week we might hear from a designer who's on a meteoric rise, or we might hear from independent shopkeepers that have somehow grown that into a global brand, or a young creative who's about to blow right alongside an OG figurehead who's laid the building blocks for this entire culture. But today, we have someone rather unique someone who has only had one job for the past two decades. That's right, one job, 20 years. Now in her tenure, she's helped create the foundation and model of the sneaker fashion and sports industry that we see today, and has been a part of some of the most historic collaborations that we've ever seen. And now we get to sit down and pick her brain as she embarks on a brand new chapter in her life. You may or may not know her name, but you have definitely seen the projects that she's touched. Get ready to learn what it means to be Nike's Global Vice President of Influencer Marketing and Collaborations. Whew, one of the brainchilds of everything that we know as hype today, Drika Linknit, right now on The Business of Hype. Thank you for coming into uh, the Business of Hype studio. I think this is going to be a very educational episode um, because there's not a lot of people you know, that have been on my show that have spanned this amount of time and, and focus on particularly like you know, one company. So you <laughs> are a veteran of, I think, a lot of what these you know, Hypebeast kids mm-hmm. see on Hypebeast every day, mm-hmm. you can arguably be like an architect of those things that they're seeing, mm-hmm. right? So this is going to be a very interesting episode. So first, before we go too far, introduce yourself. Who do we have in the studio today? My name is Drike, Drike mm-hmm. Leenknecht. I would title myself as a global executive in marketing and general management and actually global brand innovator. I okay. think that's a nice word. Okay, that's a lofty title. <laughs> and you. where were you most previously at for people who don't know? I, and what were you doing at that company? Yes. So I worked for Nike for about 20 years. Can mm-hmm. you imagine? I feel old, <laughs> but uh, young and fresh in my head. And um, looking back at my career there, as I said, I consider myself a global nomad, a global executive. I worked in marketing and general management. Um, I worked in three regions, mm-hmm. um, Europe, the States and China, which mm-hmm. was amazing. And if you look back to my career, I, I actually worked in the different areas uh-huh. of the business. Yeah. I worked in product, I worked in communication, I worked in brand mm-hmm. marketing, and I was a GM. Throughout my career, I was also at the basis and, uh, of the foundation of what 
we called energy marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, energy marketing is an, is was a high touch marketing function yes. of Nike. And I, I I was at the base of the foundation of that together then, of course, with the creation of the collaboration space and right. the collaboration model, yep. which is, I think, why you want to listen to my story as well today. <laughs> yeah, which is why it pertains to the universe of hype culture, hype-based. Yeah. 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 Um, and so you said you were at the foundation of like mm-hmm. when collaboration and energy marketing started. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Uh, the great thing, looking back at uh, my 20 years for the brand and with the brand, it was an amazing 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did uh, significant things mm-hmm. throughout that time uh, frame. And setting up together with people like uh, Trevor Edwards and mm-hmm. Fraser coming in, mm-hmm. but with an entire team, actually, of people uh, setting up uh, that function right. within uh, Nike, I think about 15 years ago. It's crazy was uh, yeah it's one of the most exciting things i think yeah uh, looking back you know i have the opportunity to work with a lot of different brands through Mm -hmm. like you know our agency and stuff and there's companies today that still don't believe or fully understand the formula and conditions that you guys formed over 15 years ago oh wow yeah they're still like really do you think that really works i'm like (laughs) <laughs> like I'm literally slapping my forehead like, oh my God, you're kidding me. You still don't believe that doing something on this energy level yeah. resonates with the bottom line that eventually the CFO will be happy about. Wow. Well, I think, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, and I mean like a yeah. lot of companies, wow. like 99% of the companies out there. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, to these companies out there, um, <laughs> I would say that... The best uh, marketing models still today, mm-hmm. even with the digital revolution, mm-hmm. uh, should be a balance between art and science, mm-hmm. should be a balance between, um, you know, I know now in today's world and today's brand world, it's uh, it's all about um, performance marketing, yeah. right? And analytics. And KPIs, analytics yep. and data. And don't get me wrong, that is important, mm-hmm. uh, especially going into the future. But uh, what people need to realize is that there are things in the human race mm-hmm. that don't change uh, mm-hmm. through they don't change through uh, time yeah uh, and we will talk about that later one of these things uh, is the need for connectivity mm-hmm. uh, but also the need to connect with each other through storytelling yeah and that's why i truly believe that especially today that mm-hmm. the best marketing models are the ones that have strong uh, high-touch marketing functionalities Mm -hmm. built in, where you drive relationships, where you drive that uh, interconnectivity Mm -hmm. through cities, through people, and that in balance then uh, with uh, the the, the performance marketing part. Mm -hmm. You really need to have that beautiful balance of the two. And I would argue that because we're so digitally inclined today, mm-hmm. you're right. Like the actual human connectivity is actually even more important than it was yeah. even 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? And it's it's really funny because uh, because I worked in uh, in Europe, I lived in Europe, in China mm-hmm. and in, uh, in the States. Um, the question that I always get from every marketeer or every company or every brand, knowing that, you know, we come out of the school 
of consumer connectivity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, is is hey, you know, what is the difference between consumers in China versus the states right, and things right. like that? They always ask that. Yeah, they always ask that, and I always say that's actually the wrong question. The right question is, what is the similarity? Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. You need to know the differences to understand the similarity. Mm-hmm. But there's things that the human race has in common with each other across cultures, across regions, but also over time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. And that's why today you need to have a marketing model mm-hmm. that uh, balances the two. Yeah. And if you overinvest in performance data mm-hmm. and you disconnect uh, from uh, high touch as a functionality, yeah. uh, you're, you know, you're going to miss on connectivity mm-hmm. as a whole. Right. You know? yeah. I know so many marketeers and uh, global leaders in marketing, they have all these data mm-hmm. now and they don't know what to do with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it sounds funny, but it isn't. Um, you you have to find that balance yeah, totally. uh, between the two. Yep. Going back to um, energy marketing, right? Yeah. And I don't even know if you're aware of that it's happening, but like terms that you guys have come up with internally at Nike, like tier zero, quick strike, energy, right? All of these terms are now, they're like general vernacular of people. Like kids mm-hmm. know these terms and they name drop them all the time, but these were like, Nike terms that you guys developed internally. Did you know that these things that you sort of invented 15 years ago are now like talk of fans on the public level? Um, Are you aware of that first? I just want to know if you're aware of that. I'm aware of that. Okay. I'm aware of that. So you know kids walk in the stores and like, nah, this ain't tier zero. Let's walk (laughs) out of here. Like, (laughs) It's funny. Um, Oh, he's an energy. Like, (laughs) it's so funny that like they know now. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, the great compliment of Mm -hmm. these things is it means that what we did had impact. Yeah. And I can only look at this and take it as a compliment Mm -hmm. because it was uh, revolutionary in marketing back then, right? Uh, 15 years ago. I still remember 15 years ago when Fraser Cook, Mm -hmm. who then joined us, Uh, He's an amazing human being, best cultural innovator, Mm -hmm. I think, on the planet. We kickstarted that that model Mm -hmm. with him and a team of people and um, traveled around the world. And I was with him traveling around the world. Mm -hmm. And have you ever traveled with Fraser around the world? I have. Not around the world. I've traveled with Fraser. Yes. Okay. It was really intense, (laughs) Uh, you know, but fun memories. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing guy. If I remember right, the title on his business card, this is like many years ago, Mm -hmm. but it was a funny title because if I'm not mistaken, it was Head of Global Energy. And it sounded like he worked at BP or Exxon (laughs) or something like, wait, so you're, and it says, you know, this is Nike, Head of Global Energy. Like, so you're in charge of all the power at Nike? Like all the, (laughs) if you're not in the marketing, no, you don't know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. And it's funny that now everybody knows what energy means, right? Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what energy means, you definitely will after this episode. What Drika and her team created at Nike was so important. And actually, it was and still is important. It's the backbone of how we view, market, and move products today. 
Okay, now, for those listening who don't know, energy is sort of like the unspoken soul of a brand. And in some ways, it's not too far off from the dictionary definition of energy. Movement, life, substance. But when it pertains to a brand or a business, it's a little bit different. Why is Nike the juggernaut of a brand that it is today? Fact is, Nike is a true product innovator. They already create some of the best product inventions of our time, designed to the exact specifications of championship athletes. If you've owned a pair of Nikes, you've probably heard the sentence. And to be honest, if Nike was the worst marketer, they'd probably still be the number one company just by virtue of the product alone. But the reason why they are who they are, it's because in addition to being the best innovators, they're also the best marketers. Easier said than done, though. In order to connect deeper with consumers, Drika and her team at Nike developed what became the energy model that would find that sweet spot for them. But now, hearing her, we can see that it's not based on ad spend or metrics or covert marketing tactics. It's actually a very humanistic approach. Drika tapped into something else the brand had mastered in its lifespan, and that is the art of storytelling. Truth is, Nike has been amazing at this art form since inception. Go way back to the vintage ads from back in the day where they were heavy with copy, or the two-minute-long manifestos that inspired us to get up and get out the door to run. Storytelling has been at the core of Nike right alongside product development. But Nike realized that big national TV spots and full-page print ads were shifting. A team would need to be created that could focus on a different type of storytelling. And done correctly, it could truly change the game. This, people, is what energy is. A lot of how the sneaker industry is today is thanks to Drika and her team at Nike. Not the data and performance metrics of today, but rather that human connection that she stresses. There's a reason why those sneakers are sought after and why they're the ones that are put on the top 10 lists and why they go for the highest resale value. There's a reason why some collaborations become legendary and others are forgotten like yesterday's news. That secret, that magic touch, that's what makes a true connection. And that is true energy. So let's talk about a little bit beforehand. Like, yeah. Pre-Nike, mm -hmm. where were you at? Where were you born? Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in a very small village, mm -hmm. in a small village in Belgium. My mom actually had a sporting goods store. Okay. And, uh, yeah. It began. So there so you it go. Begins. There you go. So I was selling sports shoes from the age I was 13, you know? Oh, my God. So, yeah, that's maybe the link later on uh, and for my addiction yeah. to sneakers. But uh, I loved my mom, um, but my dad mm -hmm. was uh, my hero. Oh. Um, he was a, a civil engineer, okay, linear as hell. And then there was also my brother. Mm -hmm. My brother, uh, triple aced uh, mathematics. Okay. And so being in between those two, I truly thought I was stupid, you know? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> And it, it, it's, uh, there, there were moments that I was like, hey, I don't fit in here, mm -hmm. you know? But anyway, the good thing was that I was social. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid to try different things out. Right. I got myself through university, which is college here, I think, yep. right? 
I hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I got myself through my first couple of of jobs to, I think, in 99 to land uh, somewhere around that time to land a job in uh, in Nike. So that's right a, out of college. No, first, okay. you know, uh, I did. I took. I took again. I was very. Um, I was into everything actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very curious. So my first couple of jobs were a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. I tried out different things and. Right. You know, I worked for a radio station. I worked in a big agency. Uh-huh. So at a certain moment, I uh, I made the move to Nike because they were uh, they were looking for people to come on board. Uh, it was around 2000. Uh, they were okay. ready to put their stamp on football mm-hmm. and uh, soccer. Was, soccer. Okay. Sorry, that's all right. Sorry. Us stupid Americans, you got to talk our language. I'm not language. saying that, sorry. <laughs> um, but actually, they were looking for some people to get them through the European Championships. Okay. Uh, football, soccer. And that's how, you know, that's, that's how I came on board, actually. Were you like a soccer f- expert or fanatic? That's a good question. Um, I always loved sports, mm-hmm. in, but, in, you know, in, in different ways. Of course, you're Belgian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in, it's uh, it's in, in our blood. blood. Yeah. Um, the, two things, cycling, uh-huh. of course, yeah. and football. Mm-hmm. Those are the two sports that every kid in Belgium is right. like, you, you guys and basketball, yeah, right? Yeah. And so uh, to you know, get on board and, and to start working on, on the sports that everybody loves mm-hmm. and that you, know, you grew up with, yeah. uh, that was amazing. You know? What was actually that first job position that was available? Do you remember it? It was something, something, communication, something, something. <laughs> okay, so uh-huh. that says a lot. It was in comms. Yeah, were, it was, yeah. yeah, I started in comms, okay. yes. All right. And then, you know, I don't want to back up to your dad and brother where you mm. said that they were linear. Yeah. Can you just define what you mean when they say linear? Yes. And actually, Jeff, that's a very good question. Um, so linear thinking mm-hmm. is very simple you know it's not very simple but it's <laughs> these people that go from a to b to z to d mm-hmm. right um, one plus one equals two always yeah yeah so the way i explain the non-linears yeah uh, i always say you have the a to b to z to d e f people uh-huh. and then you have the people who hate the people that go from a to b yeah. to c those are the non-linears <laughs> no but without a joke i think if you're a non-linear thinker mm-hmm. and you know you want to <laughs> solve a problem whatever right yeah, you yeah. start at a uh-huh. you might go to b but uh, in the middle you go to the north pole <laughs> right? <laughs> right um make a stop in india uh-huh. and get back uh-huh. to finding a solution mm-hmm. And that's the non-linear way of thinking, right. um, which is very needed mm-hmm. in society yeah. right now uh, to, you know, to find solutions, to create new opportunities in combination then with the linear thinkers. Right. There needs to be a collaboration of the two. Exactly. Right. Okay. That's I think we're, we're going to get there. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to get there. I think we're going to get there. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So yeah. um, you go from comms and then how do you now, you're, you're in like year one of working for the swoosh. Yeah. How do you now navigate upwards and onwards throughout? Like yeah. what, what are some significant advancements? Yeah. It's, it's another question coming out of the swoosh that I get. It's like, hey, you had such an, also from young people, right? Mm-hmm. You had such an amazing uh, career. Um what were the factors yeah. that uh, created that success? And my immediate answer uh, for that would first be people. Mm-hmm. 
I I had the chance to work uh, with great mentors in at, at Nike. At Nike, yeah. one of my uh, best, my biggest mentors was uh, a person named Sandy Bodecker. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know Sandy, uh, Sandy was a, one of the originators of Nike. He was a catalyst of a lot of uh, meaningful businesses. Yeah. Uh, he brought European soccer mm-hmm. as an American to what it is today. He was at the base and the heart of that mm-hmm. um, category. And as as you know, Sandy was also the godfather of uh, Nike SB, mm-hmm. right? As as a sport, as a culture. Sandy himself, he was uh, creative. Yeah. And uh, he was the perfect blend of art and science. Linear and non-linear. Yes. And... One of the things that he taught me from the moment I started working with him, I just knew that that was the place I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And he taught me that. And he also taught me that I should not run away as a non-linear thinker mm-hmm. from linearity. Right. Which is very common yes. among non-linear people. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. you know. Don't bore me with the yeah. graphs oh, and the charts. Man. Right. You know, um, he was the one. Who said, look, you know, go towards the intersection. Mm -hmm. Because with the amazing talent that you have and intuition that you have as a nonlinear thinker to solve problems, Mm -hmm. if you uh, teach yourself how to translate your nonlinear thinker into linearity, you will not only have more impact in the organization, you also will push yourself and push your potential. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that he taught me back then. And uh, today I uh, want to inspire others Mm -hmm. with what he taught me back then, which is to go and find these intersections. Yeah. And of course, Sandy left us not even over a year ago, just a little over a year ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's exactly, uh, it's going to be almost a year ago. Yeah. And uh, you have these people that come on your path that teach you something for life. Yeah. And for me, that moment where I started to translate Mm -hmm. and to work and operate at that intersection, bringing those two worlds together. Yeah. That was the moment where I said, this, this is my spot, mm-hmm. because my impact right. from doing that can be bigger. Yeah. Wow, this is such important advice from the great, late Sandy Bodecker. Something Drika, I, and even you listening should always be thinking about. You should find those intersections between linear and nonlinear worlds to come together The best of a creative mind paired with the best of an analytical mind. The art and the science. Yes, tapping into one of them is incredible, but working with both creates something truly special. We typically go into a field or start a project aspiring to do something different and cool, right? But that's not always enough. What potentially becomes really special is the output from pushing your boundaries, stretching your thinking outside of your comfort level, or collaborating with someone who has different ways of thinking and different processes. That's what's usually going to uncover something completely new. It's the self-reflection Drika had to help her realize her impact could be greater if she found those intersections. 
she recognized how she worked and how she thought through problems, especially differently than her brother and father. And once you recognize that, what takes you to the next level is the work you put in, especially in working with others. That's a pretty darn good formula for success. Get out of your comfort level, uncover something new, and then work your ass off. Back to reality now. Yeah. You were in comms working yeah. on European football. Yes. So you had to feel like you needed to sort of elbow your way to a place that you felt like you could probably make more impact. Mm-hmm. Right. What was the next evolution of where you were going? Yeah. So I started in Belgium on football. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, the football tournament was done, yeah. uh, Belgium is a very small country, yeah. right? There's only 10 million of us. Can you imagine? That's uh, Manhattan Island. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, hey, you know, what's next? Because mm-hmm. Belgium is not, you know, for a brand like Nike, um, besides of the distribution uh, center that we have there. So they offered me or they, I got, the, uh, you know, I got the red, they, they say, they say you get the red telephone call, right? Um, so I got the red telephone call <laughs> asking if I wanted to go and work um, at a Northern European level. Okay. And I was like, um, Northern Europe, Finland, Iceland, Sweden. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> never been there. Right. That sounds fun. I was single at, at that moment. I'm like, yeah, go, uh, you know, right. bring it on. I have, you know, I want to see the world. Uh-huh. And so I did that. Okay. I still was in comms, mm-hmm. but um, after doing that uh, for two years okay. and after seeing Finland for 25 times, <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, you right. know. And then I got another red call where they were saying, hey, Dri, why don't you move up to the headquarters, the European headquarters? Okay. And it was funny because like, oh, okay, you know. Uh, Which is Amsterdam back then? Amsterdam, okay. yeah. And then, you know, you you you, you work for EMEA. Mm-hmm. And they sold it very well to me. They, mm-hmm. they, they were very smart. They were like, hmm, it's Europe, three, Middle East and Africa. Yeah. You know, EMEA. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I've never been to, you know. To Ghana, so Saudi Arabia, yes, you know that sounds interesting. And uh, I moved to the European headquarters, and they needed some people to what uh, you know we call back then active life, right? Yes. That was the pre the pre sportswear, yeah, right? pre sportswear, pre sportswear, yeah, exactly. active life, exactly. Oh my god, that brings me back such so right hard memories. <laughs> okay, so. But anyway, so... It was just like, just yeah, to back up, like, yeah. this new thing was happening, I guess, back then, where mm-hmm. people were buying sneakers, not for the gym. Mm-hmm. They were buying sneakers for fashion, I guess, mm-hmm. lifestyle. Daily life. Yeah. So they needed a, a category name for this. And I, early on, it was called active life, is it? Yeah. yeah. Right? It, wasn't, it wasn't like for the gym, for basketball courts, for soccer. No. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I moved to uh, the headquarters, mm-hmm. Amsterdam, and started to work uh, in for uh, Active Life. Okay. Um, um, still? No, they moved me in marketing. Okay. And that was the time and the beginnings of uh, the, the starting phase of this new function mm-hmm. uh, within the organization uh, that we called Energy. Okay. And the rest is history. <laughs> okay. So can you place mm-hmm. us you're in amsterdam mm-hmm. you're a 
you and I'm sure other people too were about to start this thing called energy, mm-hmm. right? Who, like, who are, like, what was going on in New York and LA or Portland or Tokyo? Like, what were the other players that were involved in the formation of this? <laughs> well, the, the thing is, when you leave an amazing brand as Nike, there's things you cannot say. <laughs> <Shucks>. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got it. You can't tell how the secret recipe is made. I totally no, understand no. that. No. And I'm, I'm still a loyal uh, soldier, <laughs> even if I'm, you know, outside now. Right, right. Well, you can't say I didn't try. Fraser Cook, if you're out there listening, hopefully we could get your side of the story on a future episode. But I want to take you back to this time when it all started. In a recent episode with Kirby Jean Raymond of Pierre Moss, he mentioned how he was a fan of the infamous Nike designer Tinker Hatfield. But before learning of Tinker, Kirby never knew how shoes were made. He never knew that a person, let alone a division, was dedicated to creating and designing these shoes and their stories. In the season opener, we heard from Edson and G on how Pata was created through realizing how many dope shoes and colorways were out there in different cities and regions. This goes to show that before the energy program at Nike really started, the sneaker game was very much organic and one-sided. People who loved shoes would search out what was different and what they thought was fresh, not what someone would tell them was fresh. And as we all know, being the only person on your block rocking a pair of kicks is a very envious position to be in. The truth is, brands weren't necessarily catering to the sub-community just yet. The reason why Limited Run started actually was quite innocent and naive. Brands were just thinking that specific colorways would only sell in specific regions. And the limited quantity runs, well, they weren't to generate hype. It was because they were created with that one region in mind, and sometimes maybe even one single retail door. They didn't realize diehards would start trans-shipping them and gray-marketing them all over the planet. That was never the intent. But as you can probably figure out, that one-sided conversation started to become a two-way conversation. And this is a pivotal point in the culture. People started to become passionate about sneakers, but not solely for the way they performed on the court. It might have been a technology story or a design inspiration story or a perfect colorway. Whatever it was, we were witnessing the birth of the sneakerhead. Drika and her team at Nike was smart enough to recognize this, but they needed to react quickly. Where was the first region that you eventually jumped out of Europe to? Beaverton. So okay. um, they uh, from from Europe. I got a call from Beaverton, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they wanted me to go and work in uh, in the at the headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they called a couple of times, but yeah, in the end, I made the jump. And yeah. also, you know, I signed up to see the world. It yeah. goes back to you know when I was little, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I didn't want to, you know. My aspiration was not in the village. Yeah. Huh? Um, I I wanted to see the world. Yeah. And uh, for me, work is 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 more than you know than the check, right? right. It's an experience, mm-hmm. uh, an experience of people and places. Yeah. And uh, for me to go and live in America, mm-hmm. 
and in the States. Right. Um, it was not about, I'm going to live in Portland. Mm -hmm. It was about, you know, I'm going to live in the United States. Yeah. You know awesome. what I mean? Yep. And that for me was a, an amazing opportunity, mm -hmm. both from a professional perspective, because uh, big times were about to come yeah. within Nike. And uh, I could be part of that right. to build it. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, you know, very interesting for yeah. me. But uh, at the same time, what was interesting is to go and live in, a, in, in the States and be part uh, of uh, American culture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of um, young people that I talk to, their dream job would be to work at a company like Nike, you know, yeah. and they always ask me, like, how do I get a job there? How do I get my foot in the door? When you first got hired mm -hmm. and you went through, like, the original, I don't know, is it an HR recruiting agent or HR mm -hmm. process? Like, was it hard to get in? Was there any obstacles trying to get into, you know, working at Nike? Um, there, there was a funny story, actually. Um, so... Uh, I made so I made the jump because uh, first of all I was working for one of the agencies mm -hmm. um, that Nike used that Nike okay. used um, and I got uh, an interview. Okay. No, man, I'm talking twenty years ago. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Oof. and the person who interviewed me from mm -hmm. Nike, he thought I was extremely bizarre. He thought I was not normal. And actually, and so the story goes because he told me afterwards, uh, because I, uh, you know, I worked with him for a very long time. Okay. <laughs> he, it was actually his colleague mm -hmm. who convinced him to hire me. Okay. And he did. And I think it speaks to Nike mm -hmm. uh, that... Um, you know, they, I strongly believe that they, they are an innovation company, but they hire people mm -hmm. uh, and they have the guts to hire people uh, who think differently. Yeah, the non -linears. Uh The non -linears. <laughs> Right. And you should applaud that mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, there's many brands uh, or companies out there who, who don't do that. Right. So he thought you were bizarre. He and thought not I was bizarre. Normal. And not normal. So he didn't actually want to hire you, but his colleague said, said, no, let's trust, give, her, yeah, his, give her a chance. He's like, she's, trust me, she's good. <laughs> um, but the great thing about it is that him and I ended up partnering mm -hmm. throughout these 20 years on many things. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're in Portland now. Yeah. And you're now fully in marketing? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, as you mentioned, even in EMEA, you're starting to form this idea of like, you know, energy marketing and, you know, high touch. Mm -hmm. um, were you already touching any collaborations that were happening? Mm -hmm. You were in the yes. EMEA? Yes, yes. Can you remember any from even back then? Yes. Oh, uh, many. Okay. Many beautiful ones. White Dunk. White Dunk, yes. The White Dunk. White, yep. white Dunk started there. So you were in um, Amsterdam when that yes. happened. Okay. Uh, so this is like 2003, 2004. Four, yeah. Okay. White Dunk and then the amazing partnership with Osgemeals mm -hmm. started yeah. in, yep. uh, in Europe. Yeah. So I remember the, there was like a box, like this. You remember the box? Oh man, yeah. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So again, that was in Europe, uh, but then connecting with people, with, with functions in global yeah. and all over the world, 
we lay the foundations of the energy function yeah. uh, to come. Okay. So for those who don't know White Dunk, you should Google it. It's like an amazing collection of all Japanese artists, right? Mm -hmm. Japanese artists and sculptors sort of like taking their interpretation of the dunk. You have Os Gemios, which is an amazing kind of like graffiti street art twin crew from mm -hmm. Sao Paulo mm -hmm. or, or Rio. I forgot which one. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. My question is, you're a sports company. You're, mm -hmm. you're involved in, you know, how to make better products for athletes. Mm -hmm. Now there's these creatives that are coming mm -hmm. on your radar. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, there's many creatives in the world. Mm -hmm. How does, and I'm, this, is a, this is a million dollar question Go that a lot it. of kids have. How I does can. you guys mm -hmm. sit and say, Os Gemios is the one. Let's do okay. it. Or okay. this sculptor. Let's use that Japanese sculptor, not this Japanese sculptor. You know, like, what is that decision making process like? Okay. So let me answer this question from a helicopter view. Okay. And then I come down. Okay. Because actually, it's also part of the talk that I gave at a festival. Okay. Called As By Night. The main topic was about uh, the fundamentals behind great collaborations. Uh, because uh, it is a million dollar question. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, and we're living in a time zone, which is what? When was your pigeon dunk? Like 2005. Right? Mm -hmm. So we're living uh, in a time frame now mm -hmm. where collaborations is the new norm, right? Yes. Everybody is doing collaborations mm -hmm. now. Now, if you do them well mm -hmm. and they elevate your brand, mm -hmm. they grow your business, yep. but also for the collaborator, they, you know, they elevate you. Mm -hmm. But when you don't do them well, mm -hmm. uh, they are just noise. Uh, yeah. But even worse. Huh? They, even worse, yeah. They can harm your brand. Yes, absolutely. So uh, what are the fundamentals? Mm -hmm. What are the fundamentals behind uh, great collaborations? Yeah. And I think uh, uh, if you look uh, to uh, the abundance mm -hmm. of collaborations now, it is important for all of us in the industry, I think, to uh, know how to drive great collaborations and to know the fundamentals yeah. uh, behind the great collaborations. Um, is there like a checklist now or is it, is it case by case? You know what? I listed five. Okay, so you do right? have a quasi um, list. <laughs> uh, my linearity comes in. <laughs> but I listed five because I got that question a uh -huh, lot. Uh -huh. And I said, look, you know, let's put five fundamentals out there mm -hmm. that uh, as an expert coming out of that and being an expert in that area, I can, you know, I can pass through. Yeah. And the fundamental... Mm -hmm. The fundamental of all fundamental, the basis of everything is cross-pollination. Okay. Uh, you Define know. that for okay. us. Okay. Okay. So cross-pollination comes out of nature. Okay. Right? It's uh, when one plant is pollinating another plant mm -hmm. from a different variety. Okay. Right? Yep. So when uh, the genetic material is being combined... Mm -hmm. And you get the seed mm -hmm. of that combined genetic material. Then the seed has characteristics mm -hmm. of both plants. Yep. One. Two, it's also creating a new variety. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm a strong believer in bringing different 
people together, yep. different uh, mindsets, mm -hmm. uh, different things together. Yeah, yeah. Because if you do and you integrate that, mm -hmm. you create new space. Yeah. You create uh, something new, mm -hmm. right? The goal of cross-pollination in the end is to create something together that you cannot do on your own. And this is where the one and one equals three comes in, right. which is like a second fundamental that goes with that. Okay. Um, But it starts at cross-pollination. Yes. Right. And Fraser had an amazing quote around that. I think it was in System magazine, mm -hmm. uh, where he said that for him, great collaborations is about the brand pulling the partner into their space mm -hmm. and, the, and the partner pulling the brand into their space, yeah. right? Into his space or mm -hmm. her space to create something new, mm -hmm. right? And you have beautiful examples throughout history yeah. of the power of cross-pollination and that one and one equals three, mm -hmm. right? From my, from Nike, yeah. uh, because I know that's what you're going to ask. I'm like, which ones, which ones? Yeah. What is um, a great example? What is a great example of cross-pollination and one and one equals three? I would say uh, absolutely Tom Sachs. Mm -hmm. uh, Nike and Tom Sachs is a great example of that. Yep. The, the, the Marshall Collection, the 10 with Virgil mm -hmm. is a great example of that. I, I would say Sakai. Mm -hmm. Now, um, let's analyze that a little bit, right? Yeah. Let's use the example of Tom Sachs, uh -huh. right? Why is that a great example of cross-pollination and one and one equals three? Mm -hmm. First of all, the way Nike thinks and the DNA of Nike versus how Tom thinks is completely different. Correct. Right? Yep. So Nike, on the one hand, is, you know, this amazing sports brand that serves athletes mm -hmm. and creates products yeah. to enhance an athlete's right. performance. Nike design is a functional design. Mm -hmm. Form follows function. Yep. Right? Efficiency. It's, yeah. it's industrial design. It's yeah. led by footwear design. Mm -hmm. That is completely different from fashion. Yeah. In fashion... Fashion designer gets up and he said, oh, it's a beautiful day, it's blue, I'm going to do blue. Mm -hmm. Industrial designers don't do blue unless it has a reason, Yeah. right? Yep. So, and they've, they are very serious mm -hmm. about that. Now, the result of that process is a, a great innovation that is often crisp mm -hmm. and clean, yes. right? Yep. Now, that's Nike. Mm -hmm. Now, look at Tom. Mm -hmm. Nothing right. is what you described as Tom. Exactly. <laughs> Tom, his uh, uh, ethos, working ethos, uh -huh. is about um, bricolage, yeah. right? And the way he does that is incredibly detailed. But the objects that are insane and wild mm -hmm. don't need to function. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. I would not advise anybody of us, and I would say that when he was here, to take his spaceship and go to space. You're uh -huh. not going to get there. You right. know what I mean? Yep. So to bring these two different entities, mm -hmm. people together yeah. with a purpose mm -hmm. and a brief, right? Yeah. Is That's the basis, mm -hmm. right? And then create together, right. in, in this case, a collection that uh, after three years hits, mm -hmm. uh, hits, hits, hits the market is an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, the result, if you look at the martial arts shoe today, mm -hmm. 
We were talking about that earlier, Yeah, because you've, right? you've got the I've original got, ones in, on your feet um, right I now. I have the original. Yeah, and the tote bag, which I've never even exactly, seen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we should call Tom and Nike and say that we need to reissue that tote bag. <laughs> um, but if you look at, um, at uh, Nike Craft as a collection, mm-hmm. right, then you will see characteristics of Nike yep. and of Tom. The best of the two yes, worlds. Yeah. But at the same time, it creates a new language. Yeah. It creates a new space. Yep. And those are the best collaborations because you know they will stand the test of time. Yes, they Does do. that make sense? Totally. And uh, looking at Virgil mm-hmm. and the 10, yeah. if you look at that collection, mm-hmm. right, and you look at that product, you see characteristics of both parties, yes. right? And it creates a new, a new kind, language, yeah. a new space, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I want to say uh, two other things with that. First of all, and this is also important maybe for your audience, uh, collaborating mm-hmm. and bringing different people together mm-hmm. with different mindsets, with, with a common goal, is not an easy process. Mm-hmm. Huh? And what is very important is that the participants in the process, they are able to lower their ego. Mm-hmm. And on both sides of the on table. On both sides yeah. of the table. Yep. And have a mutual respect mm-hmm. for one another. Yeah. Whether it's the brand for the artist or the collaborator or the other way around. Yep. And I have seen challenges on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah. You are in together on an equal foot. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I'm not going to name names, but I've seen collaborations and people ask me, oh, you want to, you know, drink a drink, tell us why, you know, this one didn't succeed. And mm-hmm. um, I think you know which one I talk about, well, I'm not going to mention <laughs> it. Um, but if uh, one of the parties uh, comes in, thinks that they are God, right? Then, <laughs> did I say enough? <laughs> yeah, I think you said enough. <laughs> um, but, but there needs to be that mutual respect. Yeah. Because... It's going to be ugly mm-hmm. throughout the journey. Right. Because you're putting together the best of the best. Yeah. Right? right. Um, then you need to respect one another. Uh-huh. Collaborations. Yeah. And this is very important as well. Collaborations are about relationships. If you put transaction as an objective, you're not going to go very mm-hmm. far. Yeah, totally. Right? And I think that's often the mistake mm-hmm. that people make. On both sides of right. the aisle. Yep. Right? Definitely. Um, and if you work through these processes mm-hmm. with passion and challenging each other, you will see that the end result will definitely be a game changer. Man, cross pollination. One plus one equals three. Connections over transactions. I hope you all are taking notes because this is golden intelligence for both a brand that is trying to figure out who to work with or a creative trying to figure out how to work properly with a big company. Collaborations are much more than slapping a few logos together. I mean, in today's oversaturated collaboration world, it might look that way. And oftentimes I feel people are confused on the difference between an actual collaboration and just signing someone up with a ton of Instagram followers. Real collaborations make real results and are created on the basis of real relationships and real stories. You can't fake a collaboration. I mean, you can try, but consumers are way too smart nowadays and they'll sniff out BS in a heartbeat. 
Drika here also points out the importance of something new to be created that still holds the DNA of each partner in order to warrant a successful collaboration. Longtime Nike collaborator Hiroshi Fujiwara often says that he doesn't collaborate with brands, he collaborates with people. If you're sitting face-to-face -face with someone at a brand that shares these same fundamentals, then the work is already 10 steps ahead. Tom Sachs, Virgil Abloh, Chateau Sabe of Sakai, all of these names Drika mentioned are amazing at their craft and they definitely bring something unique to the table. If you're unfamiliar, you should do a quick Google search to be wowed. These are creatives who have a distinct design language and are serious about their vision. But even with all that talent at their disposal, in order to make a project really soar, what's needed are people on the other side of that table. People like Drika and Fraser and the energy team that gets the vision, truly believes in it, and then helps push it through to become a reality. Now I'm looking at the, the Mars Yards and I'm thinking of, you know, when did the first one come out? 2012. Okay, 2012. It just recently got reissued. Yes. Two years ago or so. Yes. And it, it is a timeless design that Absolutely. creates a new language. Yeah. But we have the luxury of being able to sit here and be like, looks great, great job. Public loved it. Tom loved it. Nike loved it. It created something new. Mm -hmm. But I want you to take us back mm -hmm. to before these shoes were even created. Mm -hmm. And when the conversation first began of, we may have Tom Sachs do something with us. Mm -hmm. I would assume that they were people, even mm -hmm. internally, that mm -hmm. were like, why? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Because nobody saw these yet. Nobody yeah. knew the history mm -hmm. that you were about to make. Yeah. So there's naysayers. Yeah. How do you tell those people, trust this process? Mm -hmm. We are going to make great shit out of this. Mm -hmm. But they're like, we don't get why... Tom and Nike should do something together. It's easy to say that now, and yeah. Tom should get so many other collaborations because of this, but I think there's a greater appreciation that needs to be given for the vision when it wasn't written yet. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, no. Did you, did you have that issue, or was it all like everyone in the Nike room was like, Tom Sachs, everyone was like, go. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not how it happened. Okay. But it's actually, it's a very good question. Because it leads us to the next fundamental, okay. uh, which is the answer to your question. At the start of collaborations, you need to identify a void, an opportunity, uh, a problem, mm -hmm. right? I often say that who you want to work with might not be the right question. Okay. The right question is uh, what is the opportunity? Yes. What is the problem? Mm -hmm. uh, what is the void yeah. that we like to fill? Mm -hmm. right? right? Because uh, if you don't start there, mm -hmm. then you will end up again with a collaboration where there's no answer to the why. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, and it's meaningless. By and inherently. it's meaningless. Yeah, yeah. It's meaningless. And collaborations should be able to answer that question, what are you doing? And why, why are yeah, you why doing, are we this, doing this? Yeah. Right? And that's often what a lot of brands don't understand. Yeah. Uh, they think, oh, you know, we need more we need we need more connectivity with an audience, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, let's put a celebrity. Or he's hot and he's and hot. Like, yeah. and you're missing the point. Uh -huh. You're missing the point. Because in the end, what drives new space, mm -hmm. which then will be loved by the public, 
right. is uh, bringing together, cross-pollinating because of a reason. Yeah. Right? And that's why it's so important to start with white dunk, right? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful example. Yeah. The whole journey started with a why. Mm -hmm. With a, look, we have the dunk. Mm -hmm. The dunk uh, is one of the most recognizable classic yeah. uh, basketball shoes, right? The brief was set in the beginning. How can we re-energize uh, this uh, classic silhouette mm -hmm. and take it to an unexpected place, mm -hmm. knowing that we want to be authentic, very important in collaboration uh, world, be authentic. We want to be authentic to the definition of the dunk, mm -hmm. right? The dunk, if you go back as a basketball shoe, 85, I think Peter Moore designed it. Mm -hmm. It didn't have air bubble. Yeah. Uh, but what it had was this new kind of leather material mm -hmm. that uh, allowed uh, both Nike, but also the basketball industry to color up the dunk shoes to the uniforms that the college basketball players had, okay. right? Now, from the moment, from the birth of that shoe, the shoe was a vehicle for expression, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And even through uh, the evolution of culture where it got adopted by a skate, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, that role, um, because of the dunk and the way it was made and the type of shoe that it was, became even a bigger platform mm -hmm for self-expression. Yeah. So when we started uh, with the beginnings of White Tongue, knowing the why and the what, yeah. you put that up front, right. right? And then the next question is, who? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's actually the challenge or the upfront yeah. challenge is getting everyone to agree on the, the void that needs yeah. to be filled. Yeah. And then if you have that baked everything else kind of falls into place yeah. after that. Like then a Tom Sachs becomes like, of course. Yeah. Because he answers all these questions yeah. that we already posed. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's very human, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you have to do a diagnosis of yourself. Right, right. Right? Yeah. You're not going to just go out there in New York and say, tonight I need uh, whoever. Mm -hmm. You know? Right, right. Uh, someone like Mark who has both... Uh, brains mm -hmm. right and understands yeah. the, the creative community is definitely a big advocate mm -hmm. for um you know allowing the innovators to come in give them uh, an opportunity yeah. a, a, a problem and uh, a void but then let them go mm -hmm. um i think that is very very important as well it is that's probably one of the best things about working with Nike is that they actually trust the people that they yes. work with 100%. Yes. Yeah, I mean, even when they tasked my project with the Pigeon Dunk, it wasn't yeah. the Pigeon Dunk, it was Jeff, make a dunk dedicated to New York City. Yeah. When I came back with the idea of a pigeon, they were like, we don't understand why you want to make it a pigeon, but we trust that it makes sense. Yes. And it hit with New Yorkers in such an innate way that, yeah. of course, it's people still talk about it today, but it was that trust where they said, I don't understand, but... We trust you. Yes. Go for it. Yes. And I could imagine the guy, Odegawa, who made the dunking yeah. is still like, you know, like, why? Okay, that makes sense to you. It's fine. Yes. It's self-expression. It's self-expression. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, talking about uh, the pigeon dunk, right? Uh, you were giving a brief. You, yeah. You knew, I, like, I got the brief. Yep. Is that, this is the opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. The other thing I think that was strong in your collaboration is the storytelling, yeah. the insight, the mm -hmm. story. People love 
stories. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. And we talked about that earlier. You know, I've worked in all these different regions in the world. And if there's one thing that is still as valid today mm -hmm. as it was back then, thousands and thousands of years ago with the first rock paintings, right? Yeah, <laughs> the cave paintings. The cave paintings, yeah. right? Is uh, the need for the human race to story tell. Mm -hmm. yep. And I always say that the need to create a story is not as big yeah, in human race as the need to pass through the story. Interesting. Yeah. So people connect with you mm -hmm. Also through great storytelling, great narratives. And great narratives doesn't mean that they need to be complicated. Right. That's also sometimes oh, the wrong perception. So it's not necessarily great power in forming the story, but there's also great power in passing stories. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's profound. Yeah, I've never the, thought of it that way. The human race thrives on that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Even from... You're right, people who gathered around either a campfire yes, or the, yeah. the Pantheon in Greece or whatever. Absolutely. Like, it was all about passing stories. Yes, and, and, and that has uh, the need for storytelling mm -hmm. has not changed since. And it went through all the revolutions. Yeah, right, and all the technological and changes. And all the yeah. technological changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, as long as we are still humans, although you can argue with the iPhone, we're already ha half a robot, right? But still, there's still, in there's still emotion. Need, yeah. yeah, there's still emotion. If in the collaborations that you do, mm -hmm. or in the product that you do, or in you don't put a great authentic narrative, yeah, people will not resonate mm -hmm. with you or connect with you uh, in the way that you want. Yeah, no matter how much money you want to spend on the marketing yeah. campaign. No, it, if there's no. no story, it doesn't hit. No, 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 no. And yeah. Tinker, for example, Tinker Hatfield at Nike is the master in that. Mm -hmm. He's the master in that. <laughs> That's why, you know, he is a uh, one of the best designers, but also one of the best storytellers. You're right, yeah. All those Jordans, they all knew, you, every kid knew the reason why. This yes. was inspired by the fighter jet this was inspired by his motorcycle like yeah. everyone knew the stories yes yeah and that is quintessential yeah. right to not only collaborations and great collaborations mm -hmm. but uh, it's quintessential to your brand oh such profound gems here from Dree. i hope you all appreciate this as much as i do i feel like we're being handed a secret recipe from a world-class chef Okay, let's dissect this. The power of passing stories has been around us since the dawn of time. The campfire, the playground, the barbershops, the radio talk show, television, water coolers, tweets, grams, podcasts. We're all storytellers telling our own version of a narrative. And whether that's a thousand-page novel or a one-word tweet, there is and will always be a human need for us to pass these stories to one another. And on top of that, the act of creating it is not the only thing. The act of passing the story along is just as impactful. I may have created the pigeon dunk, but it's the passing of the story of the pigeon dunk that makes it what it is today. So in my particular case, I'd argue that the community recounting the story of the pigeon is equally, if not more important than the person who created it. The ability to recognize that human trait and double down on it is genius. Even in an age of data tracking and optimization, great work and great stories will always remain timeless. 
these simple facts will never change. Today's technology allows for unprecedented ways to deliver the message. But don't forget, you still have to come up with the message in the first place. You mentioned some of the collaborators like Tom Sachs, who's obviously mm. a visual artist, Virgil Abloh, who is hard to define, but let's say a designer, menswear or like fashion, street, and mm. then Chitos Abe yeah. of Sakai, who's women's fashion. Yeah. What would you say is like a common, because they're all three very different people and different craft, but what is it about them that is common throughout the three that makes them successful and, you know, eligible to be working with a brand like Nike? They are visionary. Okay. They are game-changing. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom is an artist. I would say someone like Virgil is a... He's, he's not a fashion designer. He's yeah, an I architect, know. right? Yeah, Again, true, he yeah. thinks very like that. Right. He's a cultural uh, translator, mm -hmm. um, editor. Uh, Sitoshi is, 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 a, is, a, is a fashion designer. So yeah. they, they each have their... almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah absolutely, from Ray School, right? Mm -hmm. But they are game-changing mindsets. Mm -hmm. They have the obsession yeah. to do things better, to um, change paradigm. Mm -hmm. And uh, after having worked with so many, and I had the honor throughout my 20 years to work with them, you're born that way. Yeah. I think so. It's actually yeah. beyond just skill set, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just like he's a good artist, she's a good fashion designer, he's a good editor. It, there's you mentioned about like um there's sort of like an intangible that happens after you've learned all the skills and you know how to do with your hands all of the things, then there's another layer that has to go on to get to that visionary status level, isn't there? Yeah, um, and I think I was blessed that throughout my career I'm able to work with people that take um, things to new places. Mm -hmm. And that's what they all have in common. That also means that they are very determined. They are very stubborn. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they push us. Yeah. Uh, and I still say us, right? But um, they push. Right. They question you. Yeah. And that's what you need. Mm -hmm. That's what you need if you want to create new space or change uh, paradigms, which people like Virgil did, right? Um, Do you think there needs to be um, a level of uncomfortableness sometimes? Absolutely. So do you get that feeling when like, you feel like the room is being uncomfortable, you're like, okay, this is good? Like, did you train yourself now to like, know when something's good about to happen because it's uncomfortable? <laughs> I think going back to the act of cross-pollinating, right? Mm -hmm. Cross-pollination is an act. It just doesn't happen like that. And bees are very important yes. to, in the act of cross-pollinating. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the people that um, uh, are part of the design community driving that are incredible. The best, yeah. the best mm -hmm. top. Right. Right? They aren't easy either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank God there was Trika. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I love that process. Mm -hmm. Because you will create things that you didn't think you would. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to invest in that, and you just look at it from a short-term perspective, and uh, just look at it, oh, let's collaborate, and then, then 
you're not going to make the great ones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Okay. So it's the most incredible company. You work with the most incredible collaborators creating the most historic product. Why leave? <laughs> that's a million dollar question yeah, everybody that, is like what three are you crazy yeah. my mother said that she's like are you crazy um 20 so, it's been 20 years yeah, now yeah it's a beautiful number and for me i have met amazing people i had such a great experiences a fantastic career but i think after 20 years it was just time for a change mm -hmm. and i want to continue to build on my talent, um, to uh, work at these intersections, bringing the world of business and culture together to then drive innovation, drive brand affinity and business growth. Yeah. But talking through all this and seeing what the future opportunities are, I'm looking forward. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about uh, my second chapter. Did people try to talk you out of your decision? Um... <laughs> <laughs> either either your colleagues or fr personal friends like you know what uh, a good friend of mine said something really interesting he said that Ricky you, you outgrew them <laughs> you know yeah. and um, and I think as a, as a professional mm -hmm. uh, as an individual and seeing what um, the opportunities are for a female leader with my experience. Yeah, what you learned. And yeah. what I learned, you know, that's the opportunity that right. I see. There's a new horizon for sure. Yes. But I will argue, though, <laughs> that you spent, out of your 20 years, you spent 15 years creating a new paradigm and language for people to communicate ideas through and express them onto planet Earth. And I would say for the first 15 years, it was underground mm -hmm. and it was punk. Yeah. And now in the last five years, the language that you help create in sneaker culture with quote unquote energy marketing or, you know, hype product is now finally, for the first time, common layman language. If we go out to Broadway right now, mm -hmm. every single person will know about tier zero, energy drops, collabs, blah, blah, blah. So all the work that you've done for the last 15 years is finally pop culture. Yeah. Now you're leaving. Like it's almost like now is the time where you can actually like you know sit capitalize. down, yeah, sit down, smoke a cigar, and be like, yes, I've created all of this. Uh, I've helped to create this, and now you're like, let me try something harder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I'm not going to say that the the world needs it, but I want to continue on this path. I want mm -hmm. to continue as uh, independent consultant, which is what I'm doing right now, mm -hmm. or as part of another global organization or corporation, I want to continue to build on that talent, yeah. of uh, that unique talent of being able to bring these types. Right. Um, Allow for cross-pollination to happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to continue on that path. And then for me, after this, this chapter, using that uh, unique capability to then work with uh, a multitude or other mm -hmm. uh, organizations who, just like me, want to grow through innovation. And I always like to say meaningful disruption. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where I see the potential. Yeah, yeah. I only see opportunity, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm thankful mm -hmm. 
for the past 20 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end, uh, especially as a female leader, I was very uh, respected mm-hmm. by Nike and by the leadership. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm also looking forward and excited mm-hmm. about um, the future opportunity uh, and opportunities that are about to come. Twenty years at the swoosh, from covering Europe, then the Middle East, then Asia, then the world. Drika was part of something so special and so prominent in today's culture. To walk away must be crazy for some. But hearing it now from her, it really only makes sense. When you build something from the ground up and it then reaches stratospheric levels to what it is today, that's when you know maybe your work is done. As the sneaker industry shifts, what you see on everyone's feet today is a direct influence on the model that Drika helped build. What was once a world of the chosen few is now the norm. And instead of asking how much more, Drika is asking, what's next? She did it. She created something that will forever be put into motion for future generations to experience. What else can she help create that touches on the same intersections of culture, business, art, and science? I personally can't wait to find out. Do you ever look back and think maybe you did too good of a job? <laughs> Do you ever see like um, whether it's kids sleeping outside of stores or like fighting to get shoes or when you see resale prices and you see, you know, if you've ever walked through a sneaker con type mm-hmm. thing where like kids are flipping shoes or if you see, you know, it used to be like if you had cool shoes on, you were the one of 100. Mm-hmm. But now 99 of 100 have cool shoes on. There's actually one person wearing like no, like nothing special on their feet anymore. Mm-hmm. So like you've kind of helped to create mm-hmm. like a monster mm-hmm. of an industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Back from active life to now energy and sports where it's like bigger than most. I think it's bigger than all sporting categories, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Right. So like do you ever think, wow, we maybe did too good of a job. Like, we need to slow down. Um, oh. People I, are putting mortgages on shoes right now. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Let me add yeah. one more point to that yeah. question. Oh, it comes even worse. Okay. As, yeah. as a member of Nike, yeah. it is your job to do the best you can possibly do. Yes. But I'm talking about, did Drika ever think, this is madness? No. No. Uh, <laughs> love it. I love the n- affirmation. <laughs> no. You should have seen her. She was just like, nope. <laughs> no, 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 no. And that's what I hope the people will realize. The people who queue up or just want to have the shoe. Mm-hmm. There's so much more behind the shoe. Yeah. And method of making, mm-hmm. um, uh, shifting a paradigm. Look at Sakai. Yeah. Right? And how... Would we have ever imagined that young people would queue up for a women's sneaker? Right, right. right. For me, that was one of the most beautiful days of my life, mm-hmm. right? That I can, that you can help to shift yeah. paradigms with Virgil, uh-huh. right? With Virgil, going back to problem solving, because mm-hmm. it's always the same fundamentals that come back. Everybody knows the 10, right? But I strongly also believe that the work that we did together with Virgil to create a women's running collection mm-hmm. 
and get the athletes on the catwalk in Paris Fashion Week. Yeah. This is beyond the shoe. Mm -hmm. And I had the honor to be part of that mm -hmm. in the sense that I worship the athlete mm -hmm. and I worship the female athlete. Mm -hmm. I think they are amazing. To then X that with Virgil, that is a game changer mm -hmm. and shift paradigms in diversity. Yeah. Whether it's for LVMH mm -hmm. or for Nike. Yeah. Right? Yep. There's still so much opportunity to be made in sneakers and sneaker business for the female consumer, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the way I look at it as a professional, but and through my experience, I think one thing that really will change things in that area in the future is definitely uh, gender fluidity, mm -hmm. right? So uh, what we see amongst young people with uh, the change of times is that boys are much more comfortable to wear fashion. Yeah. And also high-end fashion. Mm -hmm. And today, they are not being ridiculized for that. Mm -hmm. So you will see, I think, a lot of the male audience uh, in the future be completely comfortable yeah. with references right. of fashion. Mm -hmm. And the other way around. So the female uh, consumer will adopt and feel comfortable uh, more and more in sportswear. Yeah. And she will not be ridiculized for mm -hmm. that anymore. She will be accepted. She will not be at the Sunday dinner table or lunch table mm -hmm. where a mother says, go and change your clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So uh, now the mother says, oh, it's cool. You know? mm -hmm. So you will see that shift going yeah. on. Yep. So for me... The potential for women's and sneakers and streetwear also mm -hmm. and sportswear yeah. is, I think, the huge opportunity. Just at the beginning, right? It's just at the beginning. Yeah. And as a female leader, mm -hmm. I uh, embrace it. And yeah. also I embrace the other way around. Mm -hmm. eh? Yeah, the I whole think, fluidity of it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fantastic mm -hmm. that my son, who is now eight, he wants a jumper with a cat, mm -hmm. right? Well, I cannot find a jumper with a cat in the boys' department, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So what I did then is I went with him shopping in the girls' department mm -hmm. for a jumper with a cat. Now, 20 years ago, my mother would have never done that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So you will see the boys growing up to men and feel very comfortable yeah. with pink, and, and, and which is fantastic. Was your son cool with the jumper that you got? He was, yes, because he thought he was cool. <laughs> it's all in the mind, right? I'm like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Totally. And I think you just see where, where the consumers are going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be a very important shift that all sports companies uh, should not take for granted. Yeah. Female consumers will come with different needs. Mm -hmm. For them, sustainability might be more important. Mm -hmm. For them, height of a shoe might be more important. I don't know, right? Yeah. But I think just like we were talking about White Dunk in 2004, which was the beginnings of this whole revolution, mm -hmm. and your Pigeon Dunk, right? Mm -hmm. It was all the beginnings. I think now, sneakers are here to stay. It's just going to be, you know, they might have different meaning. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Like, there's not too many other things in life that can encompass so much 
from science to technology to music to fashion to politics to culture mm-hmm. in a way that, like you said, the consumer can actually cast a vote with yes. by supporting for a couple hundred bucks. Yes. You know, we're not talking high-end art or sculpture or real estate yeah. or architecture. It's, yeah. There's not too many things that can encompass that in a $100 item. Yeah, That's true. really the power of it, right? Yeah, yeah. and in the end, the sneakers are part of youth culture, right? Mm-hmm. And they will always be, uh, you know. I. It's funny because yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine who is, you know, she's in fashion. And she was saying, oh, you know, the, and the trend of the sneakers is going down and it's going to be leather now. I'm like, oh my God, girl, you're so <laughs> wrong, you know. People discovered comfort, Yeah. right? Yeah. They will never, ever give up on that. Yeah, no. You know, so... For me, yeah, with the highs and lows, maybe right. it's it's here to stay. But it's not going away. No, no, no. <laughs> right. uh, again, it goes back to uh, look at the human race. Mm-hmm. The human race evolves and the more easier things are to wear or to do, the more they will adopt to it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's what sneakers do. Mm-hmm. They are beautiful objects. Uh, with stories, with meaning, um, comfortable. Yeah. You know? Yep. Okay, I want to ask you one last bit of advice. Uh, okay. So if you're talking to a young creative yeah. who hasn't done anything yet, but wants to one day have a shoe with Nike, <laughs> which is every young creative's like dream, what's the advice that you would give them? What path would you put them on to say, here's your best shot at how to one day get a collaboration with a brand like Nike? Um, you mentioned cross-pollination, yeah. but how does the artist side get him or herself into that position? Well, I would answer with two things. Um, again, I like to do the helicopter view. I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm saying this. Does that exist in English? Doing in English, we say it's the 30,000 foot view. Okay. Right. So Helico- I get do, it. Yes. You're from above. I'm, yes, I'm going to 30,000 foot view. <laughs> See, uh, we're using feet. You don't even have feet. No, foot we don't yet. do that. So I repeat, which is also why I'm here, my overall message for every creative and non-linear in the world is that because of the power of cross-pollination that happens at that intersection, go and seek it out and integrate. Because when you do, Mm -hmm. you will see that you will push your own potential and have a bigger impact. That is very important. That's great advice. So it's not only, you know, that you can have a big... It's also you will push your own potential. So that's one. That's my first call to action. So don't worry about trying to be cross-pollinated with a brand you should cross-pollinate yourself too and expand yourself. That's great advice. Absolutely. So don't run away from people or things that are far away from you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't uh, run away because you're like, I don't don't understand these people. Do the opposite because you will see when you do that, you will create... Things that you haven't seen before. That's awesome. So that's that's the one thing I would say because in a society as ours, the nonlinear thinking mm-hmm. is needed. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I can inspire only two people here, and in twenty years' time, they will help the World Economic Forum to solve big problems. Mm-hmm. I have accomplished what I wanted. To do. Yeah, 
Okay, right? so that's the helicopter that's the, view. That's the, uh, <laughs> you know, the helicopter view. Um, then for the creative uh, who says, oh, I really want to have a collaboration with Nike, I would say create your own part mm -hmm. and uh, then people will come and find you. Mm -hmm. Often too much, uh, we think that we have to go on the search. Uh-huh, yes. Does that make sense? Yep. So basically, the way to get a collaboration with Nike is don't look for the collaboration with Nike. I, you know, <laughs> don't yeah, like yeah. knock on the door every day. Like, just do you, do you, yeah. be you, and uh, be the best of who you can be, mm -hmm. and uh, don't have any fear. Yeah, which actually goes back uh, to your question: Why did you leave? Right? Mm -hmm. I don't have fear. Yeah, you know, and that is an exercise mm -hmm. because uh, I know that when I am creating the part now for me, that answers will come. Yeah, yeah. And for me, that's, hey, Dri, what are you going to do in the future? Da, da, da. For your audience, mm -hmm. it might be, oh, I really want to get to that collaboration. Right, you know? yep. Then my answer will be, is like, create your own part mm -hmm. and don't worry about it. Yeah. Because if you're very good in what you do and you push yourself mm -hmm. towards your definition, things will come to you. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be my advice. Great. That's a great way to end it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for your time. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to the super insightful episode with Drika Linknit. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I personally use Anchor FM. We are now at almost 500 reviews and a 4.8 rating on Apple Podcasts. Keep shouting us out and telling us what you think of the show. I truly, truly appreciate it. Also, do me another solid and tell just one friend about this episode. Someone that you know whose dream it is to work for a brand like Nike, because I have a feeling they're going to thank you for this. We also occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Stable. The business of hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our audio interludes are composed by Gabe Darling. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpra and Christina Hahn. This episode was recorded on location at the Staple headquarters in New York City. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Beast Radio. Thank you.